This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name's Martine and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help, and then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guests to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So, what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you're an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places. Prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it's an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink and this makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life would be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. 
Okay, for anyone who've just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9, and we're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Hi, I wonder if you could just introduce yourself and, and give us a quick sketch of who you are, your, your, maybe starting with your age and um, how long you've been sober for. Um, my name is Jo and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I am about to turn 52 mm. um, and um, I recently moved to Christchurch about seven months ago. Mm-hmm. And how long have you been sober for? Uh, 12 years, just over 12 years now. Good job. Could you tell us about um, growing up, your family and what your childhood was like? Well, I was um, adopted into my family um, Mm -hmm. when I was about two weeks old and the stipulation was for me to go into a Catholic family, Mm -hmm. which I did. My mum was very staunch Catholic. Um, My two older brothers who were also adopted from different families and I thought that was why I never felt like I fitted in that family because oh. I was adopted. Um, you know, as I discovered what I'm all about, um, I realised there's other reasons um, that I didn't feel I belonged, which is a common thing I've heard from other alcoholics. Yes. Yeah. Was it a happy childhood? Um, I don't know if I can say that. Like, to outward appearances, nothing was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a very important thing to mum, that everything looked, you know, good. And um, But, yeah, I couldn't say I was ever really happy. And, um, yeah, it wasn't a very sort of loving family. Right. There wasn't a lot of affection or we certainly couldn't speak our truth. So, right. Um, yeah. Did you find your birth mother? I did, Um I was 27 and I met her at an AA assembly in Tianao, funnily enough. Very long story and coincidental timing and, you know, those kind of things that happen in recovery that you can't quite explain how they happened, yeah. but, but they did, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So can you tell us about when you started drinking and how it progressed and what it was like? And Do you remember your first drink? Um, well, I remember um, my first drinks being little drinks in fancy little shot glasses um, that Dad Dad had a liquor cabinet and all these, you know, really cute looking little shot glasses with mm-hmm. stems and drinks with names like brown cows and laughing devils and he would give me a little glass. I, you know, I may have been four or five, I just remember, and especially the brown cows, how good they tasted. Right. And, um, yeah, my first time I got drunk, I remember, and and I'm not sure how old I was, maybe nine or ten, um, out on the farm with my cousins, and we must have got into the appearance liquor, and we were out in the garage, and I just remember being so pissed, and um, in the end just squatting down and doing wheeze in the middle of this garage. I don't know if that's okay to say, but... Um, and I just thought it was hilarious. Yeah. You know, they still go, my God, do you remember when you did that? And yeah. Like, it was funny. We were kids. It just, what happened? And then I recall just any opportunity, really. Um, you know, a couple of years later, there was a, a neighbour lady who I'd go and visit. I loved her. Um, and she would give me a few glasses of beer. And I just loved that feeling. And so I would go and visit her all the time, babysit for her. And um, 
yeah, just, uh, yeah, any opportunity I could. And um, at what point did you realise, you know, I'm you know, sure it progressed, that, that it was a problem for you? Maybe when I was around 17, I was a mum. By right. this time, I'd become a mother. Um, I'd been out of home since 16 because I remember going down to, I was living in Invercargill at the time, and I remember going to the um, runner clinic down there and doing a questionnaire to see whether I had a drinking problem. Um, I don't think I was honest. Hmm. But, yeah, for some reason, I, I guess probably things were starting to go wrong. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I knew shit would happen when I drank, you know. Yeah. I, I, I thought my friends all drank as well, and I just thought, you know, it's what we did. We were kids just pretending to be adults and... We all drank heavily and did a lot of drugs and all had babies. It was very normal, you know. So what changed that made you think, I need help with this? Well, it was many years later. Yeah, by that time I had two boys who were young and, uh, yeah, I'd done a geographical, moved away. Uh, anyway, I came back to Invercargill with a, a very violent husband um, and two boys, and yeah, drinking was my thing. And I guess I'd sort of come to the point I, I didn't know what was wrong with me, um, but I had shut myself in the bedroom for a few days, not drinking and just crying. Couldn't stop crying. And I didn't really know. I knew my marriage was awful. I knew I was terrified. I, I, I just... My life was just rubbish and and I'm not sure exactly why I didn't drink those few, few days, but I started looking in the phone book um, for answers. Yeah. Like, who do I call? Like, yeah. this is awful. And, um, and rung Alcoholics Anonymous. And that I went to a meeting that night. Um, How was that? Well, it was the first time I had heard about alcoholism, what it, what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, when I, oh God, I don't even know how I got to that meeting. I there was so many opportunities for me to uh, not, not go. Yeah. <laughs> um, starting with my husband and uh, friends arriving home with bottles of spirits, and you know why aren't you going to have a drink? And and I'm heading out the door to a meeting, but I'm not telling anyone yeah. where I'm going. Um, I had to walk across in Chicago. I walked past my liquor store. I thought, God, I could probably just go in and have a wee taste of something, you know. I think I had a joint in my pocket I was intending to smoke. Um, I didn't. But it was it was the fact that I told a lady that I would meet her there. Yeah. And I have always had this thing, I don't like letting people down. Yeah. And I, I thought she'd just be there for me, you see. Um, but, you know, of course she was there for herself. Anyway, I, I sat in that meeting and it honestly was um, the first time I have felt truly like I belong somewhere. Yeah. Um, I heard them read from the big book and I about alcoholism and I thought, my God, that's what's wrong with me, yeah. you know? Yeah. So how have you managed to stay sober? What are some of the, the, um, the tools that you've used? Well, I didn't stay sober then. I did for a year. Right. But um, I went back out, um, didn't necessarily listen to the advice from others got into a new relationship. I did the things that sponsors suggest you don't in the first couple of years. 
and stopped going to meetings as much. Right. And um, eventually I relapsed and I never, you know, it was many years before I ended up back in the doors of AA. Yeah. I didn't think I'd have another chance at sobriety. But this time, I was really lucky this time. The obsession to drink left really quick. Right. Otherwise, I don't, yeah, I don't think I could have managed. But, um, yeah, and I was living in a little town by this time, just uh, one meeting a week. But I went every week. I think I had a service position and I've I've only just left that place recently. So almost the whole time I was there, I had a service position because it was such a small meeting. So I had to show up even though I didn't want to. Yeah. You know, very lucky to have some wonderful ladies that were there, um, a lot who aren't anymore alive. But um, I could always meet with someone and have a coffee and have a chat and and I had a sponsor. And if, you know, I mean, there was many problems that come up and... I would go to her with everything, you know, yeah. tell her I couldn't cope anymore and she'd go, yes, you can, <laughs> you know, um, and just keep going, keep going. Yeah. Didn't pick up a drink, you know. Yeah. And how would you describe your life today, the life that you have compared oh. to the, the life that you had or the life that you imagined you were going to have if you carried on drinking? How different is it? Well, I'm happy to be alive, which is completely different. I used to wake up and you'd be, oh, my God, here we go again, you know. I just wish it would all stop. Um, Now I'm, like, excited. And sometimes I have this panic about how long have I got because there's so many things I want (laughs) to do now, you know. So, yeah, I I can't believe the things I've been able to do. By the end of my drinking, I couldn't barely leave the one room house flat I was in, um, I I was terrified of walking out the door. I I terrified of people. I couldn't work. I the things I've done in sobriety. Um, I remember resetting my driver's license, thinking there's no way I'm gonna be able to you know pass my driver's license test. Like figuring I'd done so much damage to my mind that yeah. I could never learn or you know pass anything. I remember celebrating that, thinking that was just the coolest thing and then saving up for a little car and feeling like a four-year-old who's getting all these responsibilities, you know. And I was a 40-year-old woman by this time, you know. Um, Yeah, I was working. I worked three jobs at one time. You know, people wanted me to work for them. I could hold a conversation with someone. I, I, you know, I was terrified of people at the end of my drinking. Yeah. I was in hospitality and I was really enjoying people. Um, I studied for a real estate license. I, you know, that was hard and I did that. And yeah, I, you know, suddenly I'm, I'm selling houses. I'm like, what the hell happened to my life? But just that freedom I have, you know, I mean, I'm driving here this morning and I'm thinking, you know, I'm thanking God actually. Um, thank you for my car. Thank you for my license. You know, thank you for Google Maps. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, like, just, I mean, I've 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 got four grandchildren. I've been there when two of them were born. God willing, they'll never see me drink. Oh, I've been overseas. I've 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 seen my favourite band live in concert, and I remember it. Well, I got in. You know, I never would have made it in the doors. Yeah. I never would have had the money. Never would yeah. have been able to actually physically get myself to anything. Um, things I just never thought possible. 
I, I rebuilt a relationship with my mother. Um, well, I built a relationship with my mother. I, I had never liked her growing up. I never felt close to her. In the first four years of my sobriety this time, um, up until she died, we just built this amazing relationship where I really genuinely loved her. And uh, I, I went home and looked after her in the last month of her life. And that I never thought I'd want to do that. Yeah. Could do that. Could I'd run away from any kind of responsibility for anything. Um, and she trusted me to be that person that was there with her. Yeah. And um, I don't know, just, just things like that that are just incomprehensible. Yeah. Yeah, where I was and where I am now, it's just, yeah, night and day. Poles apart. Um, AA is described as a spiritual program. What does spirituality mean to you? Well, it's definitely not what I was raised, you know, the the, the religion side of things. Yeah. It has nothing to do with um, what I learned, and, and, and it's totally inside of me. Although, you know, if I'm... I used to go on God hunts with my dog, Dougal, and that was just times where I need to feel that power, you know, that, that the wind rushing or like go and hear waves down at the lake or um, look for rainbows or um, just evidence of something bigger than me. Yeah. Um, I find it, the, the the power greater than myself that restored me to stand, I find that in AA meetings. Yeah. I mean, that's all I know. I went to meetings and I got sober and I got kind of sane. But then sometimes I imagine it's a person right beside me as well, like in the car, like if I'm going somewhere, I'm a bit nervous about yeah. get in the car, you know. Um, I might apologise, I'm taking you somewhere that you might not, you know, think of it as a natural person holding yeah. my hand, being there beside me. But it's just more something, I, I don't know, It's I can't explain it. It's just something I believe because I can't deny the things that have happened. I call it magic sometimes yeah. because I can't explain in any other way than, you know, I mean, how does this stuff happen? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the coincidences. I mean, and I see it work in other people. I just, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know how to explain my spirituality, but I feel it and I just blindly trust because I have no other explanation, you know, yeah. It is miraculous, though, isn't it, when you see people, their faces change and their yes. demeanour changes and everything, and it is, it, it simply is miraculous. Yes. It's beautiful. How would you describe a life lived on a spiritual basis? What does that look like for you? Well, it's calmer <laughs> than life ever was before. And I think, you know, that's the thing, and when I know I'm on the right track and I'm doing the right things and I'm trusting the process. It's a calm feeling. Yeah. Even though it can be chaos around me. You know, when I'm trying to influence the outcome or I don't like what's happening so I'm trying to get involved and change it and that's when inside I'm all, you know, um, yeah, it, it's it's just a, a calm feeling of just doing the right thing and trusting the right things will happen. Yeah, I don't. I literally don't know what else, where I would have taken a drink or a drug or, or whatever to not have to deal with stuff. Now I just have to 
let it happen. Yeah. And and I might not like it and definitely, you know, there's challenges that I'm I'm not okay with, but I have no control over. Yeah. And lastly, if somebody's listening and they're wondering if they have a drinking problem or if they need to get to AA, what would be a question you would suggest they ask themselves? Probably how they feel mm-hmm. in the morning after another binge or bender or, you know, what that space like. It's I remember just being the loneliest, darkest, most terrifying space to be in. Yeah. Um, you know, later you might laugh with your friends about the things that have happened and, and you might actually get filled in on what happened. Yeah. Um, and you'll, you know, laugh along with it, but inside you're just dying, you know. Only, oh yeah, I think only a real alcoholic knows that terror. Yeah. And suspecting that you can't stop, yeah. you know, even if you wanted to. Thank you. Joe. thanks so much for coming along and sharing your story with us. For our listeners, if you've related to anything you've heard or like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up at the web at www.aa.org.nz or you can call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear more AA members share their experiences. Our show is every Monday at 5.30 on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesdays at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past show on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and please remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. If you want to stop, we can help and you don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with a serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant grant me the serenity to to accept the things things I cannot change. Courage Courage to to change the the things things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9. 